married to Annette, originally from Belfast, hence supporting the Irish rugby team. Um, but I, I thought there were very few South African supporters here because I, I, I didn't see anybody in your lovely new kit. You know, uh, at first I thought you were marketing toothpaste. Very cheeky, very cheeky. So uh, I have four daughters. My oldest daughter is 26. My youngest daughter is 15. And my oldest daughter is in the church in California, in uh, San Clemente, working there. And I have another daughter who's a deacon on the Isle of Man University and then in uh, school as well. But it's always great to come to Edgemead. And what facilities you have. My goodness, you're blessed. I, when I was first here, I, I would look to Jesus, look up in the air to Jesus. Before I saw Jesus, I would see Uncle Will, because <laughs> Uncle Will was everywhere in this building, and uh, we want to honor him as well today, you know, for his legacy as the founding elder here as well. And thank you to your elders for the invitation to come and bring God's word to you today. Thank you to the elders, along with Rianne as well. That's excellent to be here. Thank you so, so much. And today I have a message that, which I believe will help us all in our walk with Jesus. Does that sound like a good idea? Okay, we need that. And if you aren't walking with Jesus, then by the end of what I bring today, that you'll start walking with Jesus. Or if you have grown cold, that by the end you'll actually walk, take a step forward and you'll say, I want to get back on fire with Jesus. That's what we want. And so today I want to focus on Jesus' presence in our lives and Jesus' presence in the church. Andrew's done a great series at the moment. I don't know if you've watched it. This is church. It's on YouTube. And, you know, Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus walks amongst his church. We're going to think about that today. But first, let me tell you a story. Will you listen carefully? Because my accent will trouble you every so often. If I start speaking too quickly, just give me the hand signals. Okay, and I will slow down. Well, I heard a story about a thief who broke, in, broke into a, a home one evening. And as he was shining his torch all around the home looking for valuables, he heard a faint voice saying, Jesus knows you're here. Wow. And the thief instantly froze and but heard nothing else and continued. And as he was rifling through the jewelry, he then heard, Jesus is watching you. <laughs> and startled, he shone his torch around and he was frantically looking for the source of the voice. And in the corner with his torch, he spotted a, well, a parrot in a cage. And the thief whispered to the parrot, hey, was that you talking? Yes, said the parrot. Yeah. We live in a supernatural world. Yes, said the parrot. Yes. I was just trying to warn you that Jesus is watching you. And relieved that it was just a bird, uh, the thief answered, warn me, like warn me. And just, who are you? Moses. <laughs> the parrot answered, Moses, 
the thief asked, laughed, what kind of person would call their pet parrot Moses? The parrot said, the same kind of person who would call their vicious man-eating Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> yeah. But let me tell you today, church, Jesus is watching you. Uh, recently, we were in South Carolina with our partnering church there, Josh Jen Upstate. We were there the last two weeks of August, and I was in my quiet time in the morning, and I'm reading my Bible, and I really did sense that Jesus was watching me. And it was a good thing, but it was as if I was engrossed in my Bible, and Jesus was watching me trying to get my attention. And I was so engrossed in reading about Jesus that I'd forgotten that you know, Jesus was there, that, that Jesus was watching me. It's a bit like today. We had breakfast at Andrew's home, and Andrew makes a great breakfast. You're all invited tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. And uh, MC came in. I told you this would make it to the preach. And MC came in in a total flap. I've lost my phone. Andrew, where's my phone? Where's my phone? And she's running all around the house and, and no phone, no, under the settee, in, in the bedroom, no phone, running all around the house. And then I said, Andrew has find my phone on his, because it's an Apple phone and, you, and, and the phone is in the house. Then Andrew has an idea. I will hit the play a sound button. So when you hit the play a sound button, wherever the phone is, it makes a sound. And we're... Uh, and we're standing in the kitchen, and Andrew hits the button, and lo and behold, the sound goes off. And MC says, it's in my handbag. Andrew gives that look of, of course, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah. The only surprising thing for Andrew was that MC's phone was charged. Yeah, yeah, in her handbag. And, and so as MC starts kind of looking through her handbag, um, Andrew hits the noise again, and the noise goes off again, and MC feels this vibration in her back pocket. <laughs> MC knew her phone was somewhere. She didn't realize it was in her butt, at her butt, back pocket. Yeah, little joke. Just to, just to emphasize... You know, so often, like I'm sitting in my quiet time, I mean, I'm leading churches and, and working with Andrew, but it was just like that fresh revelation that Jesus was with me. And I'm not engaging with him. I'm engrossed in spending time in the Word. But Jesus is there. I've, I've forgotten that he's with me. Like a, like a bride in the room uh, reading love letters from her beloved. But her beloved's actually standing there in the room as well. And, and she's just reading over these letters that he has sent her. Letters of uh, love and, and letters to win her heart over. But he's in the room, silent. Uh, ignored, even unrecognized. 
And I thought to myself that if that can happen to me, I wonder can it happen to other people? I wonder could it have happened to us this morning when we, as good Christians, you know, we, we have our quiet time. But forget that Jesus is watching and Jesus is with us. Or wonder could it happen even in our worship today? That we are worshiping and we're singing songs, but that actually Jesus is with us. It's not something notional. Jesus is here. You know, there's an old hymn, and I thought about it as that song was sung. Um, come, Lord Jesus, come. You know, Jesus, we enthrone. Standing here in the midst of us. And we can sing the words... But we can forget the reality that that Jesus is here. And you know, it's a great promise to every single follower of Jesus that he is here by his Spirit. If we turn to John chapter 14 and verse 17, we read this verse that Jesus talks about the coming of the Spirit when he's gone, the counselor, the paraclete. Uh, the advocate will come. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth and the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. Isn't that a great promise today? That the Spirit of Christ is, is with us And he is in us 24-7. I mean, we all know that God is omnipresent. There's nowhere you can go where God isn't. So to some degree, God is everywhere. Isn't that right? No, isn't that right? Okay. God's omnipresent. But then there's God's inner presence. I think it's a great promise that he will be in you. Something even better than Jesus walking alongside you, that he will be in you. But then thirdly, there's God's manifest presence. And isn't there times when we have really sensed that, oh my goodness, Jesus is here. Now he's always here. But in a special way when maybe we've been in the word or maybe we've been in worship or maybe we've just looked at creation and been pointed to the creator and something happens and we realize, oh my goodness, like in a special way. Have you sensed that before? That Jesus is here. And I think that's so encouraging because no matter what we are going through, the, the, the same Jesus who raised the dead, who healed the sick, who set people free, that he is with us and he is in us. Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, but you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit, if you have the Spirit living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. If you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. And and that's a promise for every single follower of Jesus. Just take a moment to reflect on that. If you are a follower of of Jesus, if you've received his forgiveness from the cross, made him Lord of your life, in some way, 
you will definitely have the Spirit of Christ. You will definitely have Christ with you in every single situation. But the question is, are we acknowledging his presence? Because I can go through day after day after day doing the stuff, but failing to recognize that he is actually with me. Do I start the day, and I did today, saying, good morning, Lord. You are here. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Good morning, Father. Or did I just read all about it? Did I read all about him? Or am I welcoming him? As we sang in that song, come, Lord Jesus. It's not that he isn't here. But actually, it's ensuring that we are fully present in his presence. That's why we would say, we welcome you, Jesus. So that we draw near to him. You know, Uncle Will used to always say, God will respond to you the way you respond to him. And he would quote James and say, draw near to God and he will, he'll draw near to you. And I would encourage you to start every day by being fully present in his presence. Saying, come, Lord Jesus. I welcome you, Father. I welcome you, Son. I welcome you, Spirit. Well, I want to read a Bible passage because I think it's always good to read the Bible. And uh, I want to go to Luke's Gospel. And this story happens in the, in the very day that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And it's a story about two of his followers. Uh, one of the followers is named Cleopas, and others would believe that the, the, the wife of Cleopas is, is one of the Marys. And, and we're going to go to Luke's Gospel, if you can turn your Bibles, or it will be on the screens, Luke 24. And let me read this lengthy passage. Now, that same day, what, what day was it? It was Resurrection Day, Resurrection Sunday. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, a powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. And they came and told us that he had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. 
And he said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to go farther. But they argued or urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he broke bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, where are the hearts not burning within us? Why will he talk with us on the road and open the scriptures to us? And they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. And they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Okay, that's one of, I think, my favorite accounts of Jesus' resurrection. I mean, here's a question. Where is Jesus today? I mean, where is Jesus today? I mean, in one sense, the Bible does say that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He lives to intercede for us. That is true. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. But in another sense, he is with us. As well by his spirit. That isn't Irish. That isn't a contradiction. That is just a paradox. That is just something we need to hold in tension. And in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. Remember this is amongst the early churches in modern day Turkey. In Asia Minor when the letters are written to the churches. Jesus says to John. Write this letter to the angel or the pastor, or the lead elder of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. So the context here is the seven churches in in Turkey, in Asia Minor, that these letters are going to, this apocalyptic language, very cryptic language. As I said, the seven stars are the, it says angels here, could be messengers, it could be the, the leader amongst the elders, many would think. The seven lampstands are the seven churches in, in that region as well. And where is Jesus? Yeah, he's... Walking, And it's just to remind you today that Jesus walks amongst his people. I mean, that was the great promise of, of God in the Old Testament. I will be your God and I will walk with you, my people. And I want to encourage us today that Jesus walks among most of his churches. Now, there was one church, he said, I stand at the door and knock. They had security on the door, Right? One church. But for most of the churches, you need to know that Jesus sees. He says, and he he knows. I know your deeds. He knows. He sees. I mean, I remember my Uncle John, who's 
being promoted to glory as a little boy. Uh, I was sitting on his knee and he plays guitar. Well, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Careful, little lips. There's a father up above and he's looking down. Well, he is looking down, but, but he's actually with us. He was with me when I took some time this morning to pray and prepare for this. Jesus sees and he hears and he knows because he walks among his people. And I think it's really encouraging. Andrew led us today in a response that he's here with the power to save. He's here. That's how willing he is. He's here. He's ready to meet us today. He's here with the power to save. He's here with the power to heal. And he's here with the power to set free. And I don't, there's a, there's a big biblical word, which I'll get corrected for afterwards using, you know, anthropomorphism. It's giving, it's not a big word. Uncle Will would have been proud of me. Your dad would have been, uh, but it's not the Greek. I wouldn't be. <laughs> And basically, it's giving God human attributes. Like he walked amongst them in the garden. But that's what he does. And it's, it's not just giving God human. In Revelation, it isn't just God giving, being given human attributes. It's a truth. You know, as, as Andrew encouraged you, if you need the Lord's healing today, call out to him. He wasn't, it's kind of, he wasn't asking you to get your phone and, hey, God, you're in heaven. No, the, Jesus, in that moment, Jesus was here. The power of the Lord was among them. Will you reach out? Will you reach out for forgiveness? Will you reach out for healing? Will you reach out to be made whole? He's here. This isn't mysticism. This is Christianity. That he leads his church. That's what Rian was trying to do this morning. What well, Jesus is here. What way does he want this meeting led today? This is church, right? What way does he, how does he want worshipped? And, and in some ways, now that we have worshipped him, in some ways that he's, we've drawn near to him, now it's going to go a little bit horizontal, uh, he's here, and, and what does he want to do amongst us today? What does he want to say amongst us today? How does he want to minister? And so the elders are trying to find what Jesus, where is he walking? What is he doing? And so I want to take a few minutes more to share what the Lord spoke to me through this account in uh, Luke's gospel. And for these two disciples, these two followers, they had experienced the crucifixion. They had heard about the resurrection, even first-hand reports. They had been in the valley, they had been in the mountaintop, but it feels like they're back in the valley again. And for me, it was just that little warning that anyone can backslide in a single day. It's just that. I mean, you can be here today listening to me, present, but actually you've taken a step back. And actually it doesn't take a long process for people to backslide. People can backslide in a single day. Verse 13, now that same 
day. What day was it? Easter Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. That same day. How could such a dramatic change have happened? I mean, all the disciples are in Jerusalem, aren't they? And then they're going to wait for the coming of the Spirit. Don't go anywhere. But these two, and even though they had heard the accounts, and even though they're prepared to tell Jesus the accounts, they don't recognize him. But they have actually just walked away from the family of God. And they're going back to Emmaus. Why is it that some of us here today, and some of us who've been led to stay in bed today, backslide? Yeah. Well, I think, firstly, it may, it may be discouragement. I think Satan's greatest tool in the life of a believer is discouragement. Things don't pan out the way that you would think. We thought he was going to be the redeemer of Israel. We, th- we thought the Messiah was coming to, to de- debunk the Romans and... And they were discouraged, but he's, he's on the cross. I mean, he may even have been raised. That's what they're saying. But they were discouraged. And I mean, another reason why people backslide is, is because of depression. Do you remember Elijah's on Mount Carmel? And it is the bloodiest event probably in the, New, in the, in the Old Testament. I think that in a total, 850 prophets of Asherah and Baal, they are taken out. Isn't that right? Blood's flowing everywhere. Then he experiences the fire of God falling. And then it's a bit like I said to Andrew last night, often the first person that speaks to a preacher after the message is the devil. And so that'll keep everybody away from me today. Yeah, yeah. Andrew didn't say that. I said that. Yeah. But it can be your, but you're in a very vulnerable, let me just say, after you've ministered, you're in a very vulnerable, you normally you've emptied out everything. And, uh, and so Elijah's emptied out everything, and then he's in that vulnerable place, and all of a sudden, Jezebel, a woman, puts a death threat on him. And even though he has seen the fire of God fall, even though he has Witness the slaying of 850, I think, prophets. He gets depressed. He runs for the hills or he runs for the wilderness. And he's so depressed, he even just tells his, his servant, you stay there, I'm going by myself. He disconnects from people. That's what these two are doing in the story. There's, at least there's two of them. Misery loves company. Yeah. And he did, Elijah disconnects and, and, and he goes into the cave and he, he kind of goes, oh, poor me. There's nobody, there's only me, poor me, poor me, poor me another one. Somebody got that one? Yeah. Yeah. And so we can have our greatest spiritual highs and suddenly just take a step back from God. And the reality is that fruit doesn't grow on the top of a mountain. Fruit grows in the valley, doesn't it? And that's where, obviously, the biggest lessons happen for us when we're, when we're in the valley times with God. Or, or sometimes it's disagreement. Why do people backslide? Disagreement. I was chatting with Andrew about Barnabas. You know, this. I keep coming back to this story. 
Like the first 15 chapters of Acts, he's getting a mention all the time, this son of encouragement. And then how he processes a disagreement and you never hear of him again throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Because his heart, his heart wasn't right. He, he wasn't able to agree disagreeably or without being disagreeable. Or sometimes we can backside because of offense. An offended brother is like a fortified city and somebody offends you and, and then you just find reason after reason to build wall after wall from people. But actually you build walls for the move of God in your life as well. And it doesn't have to be your offense. Often I've seen people backslide and people walk away from the family of God because of secondary offense. You know, the, the elders said this to this person or in this community group this happened. And, you know, you weren't a first-hand witness, but this is what they're saying. And then you take that offense upon yourself. And, you know, Paul talks about in the church in Corinth, like, you've closed your hearts to us, but our hearts are wide open to you. And that offense is lurking in the, in the background. And you've believed a bad report. It's frightening how quickly we can backslide. Do you know anybody at the moment that's pulled away from the Lord? You know, many people uh, echo the psalmist's words. Now, the psalmist in Psalm 42, he's being taunted by other people. It's not that he's backslidden, but, but, but listen to what the testimony is. It's, it's a heartbreaking one. He says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession in the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Can you picture what's happening there? He used to be at the front. Now he's sitting at the back, sitting on his hands. Now he's got this joy, 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 joy down in his heart, but it never seems to get to his face anymore. <laughs> but that's where too many of my friends are. You know, they used to be at the front. They used to be standing shoulder to shoulder. And now they've backslidden. But we often think about other people that have backslidden. Let me ask for those who have pitched up this morning. Was there ever a time in your life when you were walking more closely with Jesus than you are today? Was there ever a time in your life when you were walking more closely with Jesus than you are today? Was there ever a time when you found worship, like, like I just want to give him my all, and your back was sweating by the time the speaker came up. When the offering's coming round, how can I give sacrificially? When the conference is coming up, I'm going to be first. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to be sitting at home next Sunday because I wasn't, you know, front-footed enough to get a ticket because I knew, I knew it was going to be a sellout. Or outreaches. I mean, it, it, could it be that you're here today, but actually you're backslidden? 
Because like the psalmist, you could say, I mean, I used to be at the front of the procession. I used to be front-footed like those guys. But now I just spectate. And it doesn't have, it doesn't need a long period of time to start to grow cold. I want to encourage you that, you know, today is the day to no longer be lukewarm. Today's a day when you can respond to God. When, if you'll take a step, he'll take a step to you. And you can be in and around the things of God, but not be on fire for Jesus. And he wants us hot. Eh? And it's time to come home. That's the word. It's time to come home. For these ones, they were walking away from the purposes of God. They were backsliding. But they discovered it was time to get back into the thick of things. We'll talk about that in a moment. You know, I have my um, time with the Lord, which seems quite formal, but I have my time with the Lord. Andrew has his time with the Lord at 4 a.m., you know what I mean? Every time Andrew tells me the Lord wakes me up at 4 a.m., I tell Andrew, do you know that Bible verse, the Lord grants sleep to those whom he loves? <laughs> yeah. 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 But I have mine the same way. I have breakfast, by myself and I have my Kindle, my Bible on it. I'm in the conservatory. That's a glass sunroom for the day on the Isle of Man when we get sunshine. Uh, hey, but look at this tan. Look at this tan. Eh? I wore the white shirt today. But look at the tan. Yeah. And so that's how I start every day. You know, that's how I start every day. And you know, I sit there and I'm in the Word and, uh, and uh, the, I have another woman in my life. I have Annette. Yeah. But uh, like the patriarchs, I have another woman in my life. She's called Alexa. And so I say, Alexa, play Josh Jam worship music. <laughs> and so in the context of worship, I start praying and I'm in the word. That's how I start every day. But when I was in Southern California, I really believe the Lord reminded me. And that's just a simple message. But the scriptures are Jesus' words, but they're not Jesus. And I think for a season, I don't know how long, but I fell into the trap of thinking. It's like I'm meeting Jesus because I'm reading the Bible. And they are his precious words without error and sharper than a two-edged sword and all that. But, but they're not Jesus. Are you with me? And don't call me a heretic for what I'm not. I'm not. But they're not Jesus. And it's interesting that Jesus does open up the word to these two in verse 25. He says to them, how foolish you are. How, does, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things? And beginning from Moses and the prophets, uh, he explained to them what was said and all the scriptures concerning Himself, You know, when we were flying out to South Carolina, we were in Dublin Airport and uh, there, the books shop 
W.H. Smith or something like that. They had these piles of books that you could buy. And, and interestingly, there was an author there. And she was signing all these books, you know, which was great. You know, you could, not, you could say to your friends, I didn't just read this book. I met, I, I, I met the author as well. But I think for too many of us, we're, our relationship it can be with the book rather than the author. You want both. I have a friend who told me the story about a, 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 an elder, a pastor who was retiring after leading a congregation for many years. And he must have been Scottish because the 23rd Psalm was his favorite passage in the scriptures and they got this very famous actor to read the 23rd psalm and and it was read with the right pronunciation and inflection and all that type of thing and uh, the crowd you know who were there to send off the pastor they you know they thought it was amazing and then the pastor said look can I read it as well and as he read it the entire congregation were in tears and afterwards somebody said you know the difference between those two people was (laughs) One knew the psalm, the other knew the shepherd. You know, Jesus commends the Pharisees on two things. I think about two things. One is he commended them about tithing. So well done if you return to tithe today. At least it's not for the robbers in this place. That's good, yeah. That he commanded, you should tithe, but you shouldn't neglect other things. But I think uh, he, he commanded them for being people of the word. But then he says in John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. I mean, they had this relationship with black ink on white paper. But they never had a relationship with Jesus. He was the person in the corner. Hello. You're reading there. He was was pierced for my transgressions. Hello. He was crushed for my iniquities. Hello. I'm here. The punishment that brought us, peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are here. Hello. Can you hear me? He will be in you and with you. And I, I, my little testimony is that I think at times I exchange the words of Jesus for Jesus. I wonder what have we exchanged for Jesus in our lives? For the presence and the person of Jesus in our lives. Moses liberates the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt. He's going to go to the land of milk and honey. There are going to be battles along the way. And in Exodus 33 and verse 15, um, Moses says, but if your presence doesn't go with me, do not bring us up from here. You know, don't send us an angel. You know, we, you know, for us, we, might, we, we could maybe settle for an angel. There's angels in this church. Like, we, we, might, we might settle there. But he says, I, I don't even want a messenger from heaven. I don't want the heavenly host 
on this. You go with us personally because you're the God who walks with your people. In order to be equipped to take the good news to the nations, the first followers of Jesus weren't told to wait in Jerusalem for the completion of the canon of Scripture. In order to be equipped to take the gospel to the nations, in order to be equipped for life and godliness, the first followers of Jesus were told to wait in Jerusalem. Not for the coming of the canon of Scripture. That would take another half a century to be completed. They were told to wait for what? The coming of the Spirit. The the coming of the Spirit of Christ. Jesus says, another exactly the same as me. And it's going to be better than me being alongside you because I'll be in you. And not just in the 12, I will be in every single one of you. But I do think our battle is acknowledging, recognizing. He can only be in our hearts when we enthrone him. You know, when we make him Lord, it could be the reason that we don't sense his presence. You know, Jesus, we enthrone you. We proclaim you are king. Maybe part of the reason we don't sense like that intimate presence is he can only come into a life where he's Lord. He can only come into a church, Rianne, that has the doors open to say, you're Lord, you're free to walk among your people today. You're free to lead us as the head of the church. This is the type of church where Jesus manifests his presence. And so, The first followers are told, do not do anything until the coming of the Spirit. Don't try to do anything until the Spirit is poured out upon you. But I think people like me from good Bible stock, Bible belt background, we actually... We've defaulted to, you know, the coming of Scripture. We, we do joke about it, but it's not a joke. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scripture. Rather than God the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, we'll never go beyond what is written. I'm not downplaying the Word of God here. We'll never go beyond what is written. And neither should the church today but we are a church this type of church is a church that is led by the spirit of christ in us and amongst us and yes he is seated at the right hand of the father but he walks among his people will you make me king will you make me lord and so in my life at times i have exchanged him for the bible (laughs) But it could be that you've exchanged him for a, a form of godliness. You've exchanged him for coming to church. That's your relationship rather than him. And I know he is head of his body and all this type of thing. But actually the reality is that it's just people we have a relationship with. I love the church. But it's the church where Jesus is present. Or... Maybe in some other context, people, it's all about angels and stuff, whatever it is. And he's wanting again to be king of our hearts. 
Does this picture of my battle resonate with anybody today? Where I actually, for me, it was scripture that I wasn't walking with Jesus. I was walking with his manual. (laughs) Rather than him. I am going to give an opportunity just in a few minutes. I'm not going to preach too long. You'll be amazed. Signs and wonders following the preaching. I've just got one other point. I want to encourage you that one encounter with Jesus walking here today can change absolutely everything. Because Cleopas, and if it is Mary, Cleopas and this other person, well, they were discouraged. They were running in the wrong direction. Um, They had like the Jonas syndrome, you know what I mean? The the disciples were supposed to be together, and they're running somewhere else for whatever reason. Their faces are downcast. But one encounter with Jesus face-to-face turned their lives around in an instant. And you may think, I need to go on a course to kind of break free from whatever has been stopping me getting close to Jesus. But actually, just one encounter with him face to face today. Because in verse 30 it says, When he was at the table with them, he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I mean, it's interesting, on the breaking of bread, when they had a fresh revelation of the cross, when they had a, when they had a fresh view of God's mercy and grace, uh, the, word, the word wasn't black ink on white paper. The word became alive to them. They weren't just going through the motions of the Bible study with this guy who seemed to know the word, but their hearts were burning. I think some of us, you know, we'd want to have that burning hearts time again. And everything changes for them in an instance, and there's fire in their bones again. You know, the great uh, author who was born in Belfast, the same as me, C.S. Lewis, Jack Lewis, said that when, you know, when we break bread, there's a very thin veil between heaven and earth. And I think it's because when we get a view of the mercy of God, when we come with thankfulness because at the cross, I purpose to know you, I purpose when I was among you to know nothing, but Christ Jesus and him crucified, we get a revelation of Jesus afresh. When When it's back to the cross, it's all about Jesus. And so we see here in an instant when they had a fresh encounter with Jesus, and that's what I'm believing for us today, that as elders and deacons and others lay hands on you, that you'll have a fresh encounter with Jesus. Everything can change because they do a 180 degrees turn. Because in one day, that very day, Easter Sunday, they're walking away from Jerusalem. And, and after they meet Jesus, it says instantly, they return back to Jerusalem. And then they're going to wait to be clothed with power on high. Then this encounter which they'd had on the road, which was really a one in a gazillion opportunity. Few people had that type of encounter. That type of encounter could be their normal walk. Because Jesus says, it's better that I go Because then I can stay in the Spirit of Christ. 
to be in you and with you, with every single person, in every single moment of each day, if we will acknowledge his presence, if we will enthrone him as Lord in our lives. And that's our calling, to to have a living relationship with the person of Jesus. As I say, Paul never went beyond Scripture, but he was never led by Scripture. He was led by Jesus. Let me give you an example of that. Remember when they had the big Barney in Acts chapter 15 with Barnabas? We were just talking about the etymology of that word. It was a Barney. And... uh, and then they kind of went on their next tour to visit the churches. And, oh, we think, we think because, there's the, well, I'll, I'll just ad lib here. The Greek commission says, go and make disciples of all nations. The word says this. And they start going north, boom. No, that door's closed. And they start going south, boom. And he has even Silas, a prophet with him at the time. And Silas is like blind at the moment. And then they get a Macedonian call. The Spirit of God moves, and it's in a vision. And they say, go to, go to Europe. Now, South Africans, stay here. But go to, <laughs> go to Europe. Go to Europe. I mean, if you've been led by the Word, well, what, what was wrong with going to this place? What was wrong with going to that place? But he needed to be led by the hand, by the Spirit of Christ. Acts 16, verse 7, And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Like, if I was reading the Bible, what's wrong with going there? Because the Bible says so. But we're not people who are led by the Bible. The sons of God are led by the Spirit of God, who will never contradict what the Scripture says. But in the moment, we need to hear from the Lord. We're now, don't we? I mean, the Bible has a, has a book called Job, but you'll never discover your job from reading the book Job, right? You may have a general principle you need to work and things like that. But if you have two Job offers, you'll need to, you'll need to hear the Spirit, won't you? You'll need to go to your elders. You, you'll need to speak in your community. What do you think? What do you think the Spirit is saying? And so when we're led by the Spirit of Christ, he opens our eyes. When salvation came to us, it was by revelation. You know when I need to get baptized? Revelation. Hopefully when you started tithing, it was revelation. The Holy Spirit reveals things. This is the way. I mean, you've been reading it all your life and people have been talking to you. Then all of a sudden, it isn't that you got smarter. It was because the Holy Spirit revealed something. And so in Galatians 5.25, Paul says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe my keyboardist could come back and help me. So we are a people, this type of church, is a church where the king walks amongst us. I mean, I, literally, I was asking, Jesus, are you over there? <laughs> I mean, is there people that you want to see healed over there today? 
This is a church where the king walks amongst his people. And it's, as much as I study theology, you know, don't get tripped up in that, oh, it's just giving, uh, just giving uh, God human characteristics, you know, that he walks among. No, no, his whole thing is, I'm the God who walks among you. And I'm not trying to follow you. I'm trying to say to you, follow me. Like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And the early church, for most of them, for centuries and centuries, didn't even have the scriptures. They had such a deep fellowship with the Spirit of Christ. I know, like, many religious leaders will say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But the fellowship, the intimacy, the fellowship... That wasn't prophetic. That was the devil. Yeah. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' church is here today. And he's walking. And he sees. Nothing's hidden from him. And he hears. And he knows absolutely everything about your life and my life and the great news is if we'll if we'll come through the blood of Jesus there's nothing to be fearful about in an unhealthy way that he sees, hears and knows if we'll come into his throne room today there's grace And there's mercy in our time of need. And he says, church, follow me. He doesn't say merely, he doesn't say follow the scriptures. But ultimately, you you and I know we'll never go beyond the scriptures. But he actually says, follow me. And he's alive. And he's amongst us right in this moment. And there are moments of encounter which can happen here today that in an instant can transform your destiny. Maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I'll give this congregation one more go. But the problem's with you. And you've heard God today. And you need to do a 180 and get to the front and be that full-on worshiper and full-on supporter of the eldership and full-on person who has a heart for nations. Maybe you've been in church all your life. But you've never walked with Jesus. Andrew's going to, I'm not going to steal Andrew's preach, but he's probably going to preach something 
and we about this linked to this and we were reading yesterday in Cana a Galilee after the miracle of water and the wine it says then the disciples believed maybe it's like I don't Andrew will unpack that but maybe somehow you've been in the round but today is your day to believe shall we stand on our feet yeah I'm going to pray for us then I'm going to just call